Welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about Barty Crouch. Junior. Junior. And senior. <laughs> Thanks for jumping in on the junior there. You're welcome. My favorite thing to do. You're welcome. Well, wait, what is that even? Who says that? Barty uh car girl says it oh that's right i was like why does it have an accent but that's yeah because he's like naming death eaters and he goes barty mm. crouch and everybody's like uh, and then he's like judy <laughs> oh, i love moment. it i, I feel like car it. everything car girl says is great <laughs> i feel boost. like he's just a very under like he's an underused character i feel like not only in goblet of fire the movie but i just feel like in the series as a whole like i get that he kind of just like ran away as like a coward (laughs) but i feel like we like he was one of the death eaters that we knew better going into like the latter books with the rise of baltimore you know he was like a named character that we had met we had a face to so I think that like it was a, he was a little underused, but I guess he was like also based out of a different country. So yeah, and like ends up being tracked down or whatever and killed. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this isn't about Karkaroff. Catch our um, Durmstrang episode to hear we, about Karkaroff. Yeah, which is upcoming. We haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? No. Um, our patron of the episode is Miss Jessine. Thank you so much for being a patron. We love you. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Um, ich liebe dich. There you go. It's there in you go. German. Pulling that, that out is... of nowhere. In addition to thanking Jessine for her contributions to our podcast, I just want to say a general shout out to all of our patrons because we've had some rough times <laughs> with microphones lately. I think oh the time that mine was really rough, I think that might have been a patron exclusive episode, like a, mm. what do we call them? N-E-W-T episode. Yeah. But we now both officially have new microphones. Thanks in large part to the contributions of our patrons. Yes. Um, so this is like, I don't know, the first like really tangible thing we've been able to use besides mm-hmm. like shipping. And I guess we paid for our, like Podbean. our Podbean subscription um, with the help of that. So it's just nice to like have a mic and, you know, I didn't have to entirely shell out from my own pocket. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, plus the mics that we got are, like, a huge upgrade from the first yeah. mics that we had. Like, not to diss on those mics. Like, they did their job. Like, we definitely got what we paid for out of them. But these are, like, real podcaster mics. Like, we feel all <laughs> fancy and official now. And that's mostly thanks to you guys or your our patrons. So, yes. thank you so much. And then just my last announcement, I don't know if you have any, but it's just that today, day of recording, is March 31st, which is Trans Day of Visibility. So just wanted to make that announcement. Obviously, I don't know when this is coming out. 
April 13th? Okay. So it's going to be long past when um, you're listening to this, but I hope y'all observe Trans Day of Visibility in some way. Just thought about what you can do to help the trans community. And if you want to hear about pressing things you can do, um, go back and listen to what we talked about at the beginning Potions. of the potions episode. Thank you. I was not going to be able to tell you what that was. Um, so yeah, just see what action steps you can take regarding, um, the scary number of bills there are in state legislature legislatures right now yeah I just have a quick um little reminder kind of just to follow up with a lot of the discourse and discussion that not only we had but the country had over the summer about the black lives black lives matter movement and specifically the death of George Floyd the trial um for Derek Chauvin I think is how you pronounce his last name, is ongoing in Minnesota right now. And if you feel so inclined to hold judges, the state judges in Minnesota and the state legislature in Minnesota accountable, you can actually watch the trial completely free and live on, I believe it's startribune.com. You can find a live feed going on throughout the day. So if that's something that you are interested in, you can definitely check that out. I know that the last two days, at least, they've been um, there have been like depositions and like cross examination of witnesses. I think those are the correct legal terms for what's going on. <laughs> I Pulling mean, out that my true crime knowledge. Right <laughs> um, so, if you want to keep updated on that trial and just. As some, I want to make something very, very clear. I think in the media, people have been referring to it as the George Floyd case, and I really don't like that vocabulary because George Floyd is not the person that is on trial. So just try to be very specific in your verb, verbiage. Is it verbiage or verbiage um, when referring to the case that is going on? So just thought yeah, I would mention that. I've been seeing a lot of stuff about it on my social media, specifically um, kind of how, like what to do and how to follow the trial, just because I have a lot of people that I follow based out of Minneapolis. So I thought that I would just share that with y'all because I'm not sure if that made it to everybody's feeds that you can watch it live at thestartribune.com. Yeah. Good announcement. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. So well, let's move let's on to started. talk about more corrupt politicians. Here we go. Oh, good transition. Okay. Just throwing that out there. I mean, no, I don't know if Barty Crouch was really corrupt. He might have been a little bit misguided and heavy-handed yeah. in some of the things that he did, but I don't yeah, I don't think he's corrupt. That's not the word I would use. But I yeah. think misguided is a good one. Yeah. So out of the two Barty Crouches we're talking about on this episode, we're going to be starting off with senior because, you know, seniority, oldest first. <laughs> um, so his name is Bertinius, or also known as Barty Crouch Senior. I guess he wasn't known as senior until he had a son, so he was technically named Barty Crouch. Um <laughs> And so we looked up some etymology, and the only thing I could really find about the first name Bartimius, because it's just not a very popular name, is that it's a name that was used in the Bible, I think, a couple times, um, maybe twice 
from what it sounded like. I'm not 100% sure, but it was somebody who Jesus had healed um, when he was leaving Jericho, I believe. Um, and I believe that in some iterations it's been mentioned that he, like the person was blind that he healed. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of like stretch that meaning however you feel like, but I did not feel like adding it into the notes. Um, but we did, Audrey did add this little excerpt about the last name Crouch. So it says the surname Crouch is a variation of the English surname Cross. This could refer to the gibbet where criminals were executed in ancient times. I assume that just means like the crucifix. They're talking about a cross that people are executed on. Yeah, um, I assume it's just a word for that. Oh, um, gibbet is like gallows. So. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, this word being connected to the Latin verb curciar. Uh, cruciar. Uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't spoken Latin Well, in Latin's a, a dead language Cruciar. anyway, so nobody even knows how it should be pronounced. So okay, we're going to go with what I said was correct, um, which means to put to death on a cross, but also torture or turn torment um so this kind of could relate to both of Barty the Barty crouches one kind of being the executioner and one being like the execution the person being executed executed. (laughs) the executed I know that like Junior wasn't actually executed but you know he was at the mercy of his father and being prosecuted for his crimes and being the criminal um and I mean in the end he kind of was executed too True. With the Dementors. With the Dementors, yeah. That's, I guess, the Wizarding World version of execution. Yeah. Not as um, merciful as we are, you know, with our lethal injection, injections, because that's <laughs> yeah. so more so okay. much more humane. Sure. <laughs> I was being sarcastic, uh, if you couldn't tell. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> I could tell. could tell. I don't know if our listeners could. <laughs> Um, Just because I'm currently in Texas does not believe that I support the things that Texas does as a state. (laughs) All right. So Barty Couch Sr. was speculated to have been born before 1942. That's really all we know. Um, Junior was born speculated in around 1962. So just like... For him to have, like, graduated Hogwarts, and I think his wife is maybe a little bit younger than him, even though we know nothing about his wife. I feel like it said that on the wiki. Um, So, yeah. He was at least 20, probably, when Junior was born, so before 1942. Makes sense. Um, We do know the exact date he died, which was May 27th, 1995. He was murdered by his own son. Um... And this was the night that the champions were brought down to the Quidditch pitch and shown the maze. Um, I don't know why we have that exact date. I don't know if somebody kind of like pieced it together or if it was said in the books. I feel like, I think it's four, I think it's exactly four weeks before Mm. um, the third task. The third task. the, The date of the third task is June 24th. Yeah. I believe that would be, yeah. That makes sense. It's it's exactly four weeks ahead of it. Okay, yeah. So right before the fourth task, um, and I guess 
we he probably wasn't like declared dead until afterwards because like nobody know knew what happened to him until yeah. um a junior kind of spilled the beans so yeah okay and then he is his blood status is pure blood and the crouch family is a member i guess <laughs> that was how you would say it is listed on the sacred 28 um but of course their line dies out with um with Barty Crouch Jr. Because as far as we know, he did not have any kids until until we learn otherwise in Cursed Child 2. <laughs> the family we know of Barty Crouch Sr. Um we know that like Audrey mentioned earlier that he was married. We know nothing about the wife though. Um and she did die prior to both of the Barty Crouches dying, actually. We know that he was father to Barty Crouch Jr., obviously. And then if you look on the wiki and their family, it does list a couple blacks that they're related to. So that's probably just a product of them being in the Sacred 28. And we do have the full black family tree. So my guess is where that's where that information comes from, if they're connected at all. But I did not double-check any of that, so... They're also all inbred, so. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> product, if, if you're part of the Sacred 28, you're probably related to at least one or two of the other families up there, if not yeah. all of them. <laughs> yeah. And then occupations he's held include the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. So that was from some unknown date until um, after 1981, so... Basically, like, until his son was arrested. And I think yeah, that's when he left pretty that much position. the end of, like, the first Wizarding War because his son yeah. wasn't caught until kind of, like, just after Voldemort yeah. disappeared. So, like, so, right around there. End of 1981, maybe beginning of 1982 by the time um, he stepped down. And then he was – then took up um, head of Department of International Magical Cooperation – um, it says he held that from 1990 to 1995. Obviously, he died in 1995. Um, I'm not sure where the... 1990 comes 1990 from. 1990 comes from. There isn't a whole... I'll talk about this a little bit later, but there isn't a whole lot of information about his career in between or just kind of his career in general, so... I don't know... Yeah, the source on that is an HP lexicon mm. um, timeline. But well, the lexicon normally is just book canon. The lexicon normally sor- sources everything to the books. Yeah. Oh, that's the source for his death. So I don't know mm. um, where the 1990... Maybe Percy says at some point, like, he's been on the job for five for years. For five years, like yeah. That. that would be my guess. Okay, so I'll talk about his first mention. So his first mention comes in Goblet of Fire, I believe. Um, I couldn't think of a time where he'd be mentioned before then, so I kind of just looked at Goblet of Fire. And this is at the Burrow just before the Quidditch World Cup. 
So it says, Percy's enjoying work then, said Harry, sitting down on one of the beds and watching the Chudley Cannon zooming in and out of the posters on the ceiling. Enjoying it, said Ron darkly. I don't reckon he'd come home if Dad didn't make him. He's obsessed. Just don't just don't get him onto the subject of his boss. According to Mr. Crouch, I was saying to Mr. Crouch, Mr. Crouch is of the opinion, Mr. Crouch was telling me they'll be announcing their engagement any day now. <laughs> And then, obviously, we later meet him for the first time while well at the Quidditch World Cup. What a first mention. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. I think it's interesting the ones we get where it's just, like, talking about the person and not... The actual meeting, them. yeah. Yeah. I know I almost included the first description because I just, like, I think that it's really cool to... Th- think about the description of these characters because a lot of the times we get so far removed from like their description Mm. if that makes sense you know we start thinking of them in more movie terms (laughs) yeah well not only that but getting so into the specifics of them like almost as a real person and like what they are like as opposed to what they look like I feel like that's such a small Mm. part to who they like what makes them a character that it's not something I generally pay attention to and, like, you forget about because it's normally only brought up once, like, the first time you meet them, so. Yeah. I also think, like, Junior's supposed to have, like, straw-colored hair. Mm, Yeah. So. He's not supposed to look like David Tennant? Is that what you're telling me? No. No. Oh, wait. Okay, wait. I have a question. Speaking of David Tennant, I know we'll talk about Junior later, but do you find David Tennant attractive? Not in the slightest. Okay, neither do I, but I feel like a lot of people do. And I feel like that's just do they, because... Do, are they just like, oh, I love David Tennant? Like, See, that's what I him? think That's what I think it is. I think it's because like he's just got this cult following for being Doctor Who, you know? <laughs> I just typed in Dave Tennant. I mean, Dan Tennant. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. I was just like not paying attention. Yeah, I don't think he's attractive. I think he's kind of creepy looking. <laughs> that might just be because you see him as Barty Crouch Jr., though. No, but, like, I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that's his persona. When did The Dark Knight come out? Sorry, this is, like, way off topic, but I'll get Ooh. back to why I thought of it. Did Dark Knight become... Did it come out before or after Goblet of Fire? 2008, I was right. Damn, that was is, impressive. I think it has to be after Goblet of Fire. I watched, speaking of The Dark Knight, this is getting way more off topic, but I watched The Dark Knight for the first time this yeah, past month. Goblet of Fire is 2005. You watched it for the first time? Yeah, I'd never seen any of the Nolan oh, Batman trilogy. Yeah, I guess you're in. Like well, it was a little Marvel. bit before my time, like before my time. I'm so like young, but like like I wasn't into like, superhero movies until marvel mm. became super popular but the reason i thought of it is because like the tongue lick thing that barty crouch does i know that yeah. like heath ledger does that but like he did it for like a reason i guess like the prosthetics or i guess like the paint made his lips super chapped or something like that um yeah well he kind of like instead of like licking his lips right yeah yeah i was just trying to think if because I, I thought of the tongue look and then I thought of Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. And speaking of attractive men, Heath Ledger is actually attractive. So, Yeah, but you can't tell. And- I mean, no, not in the dark night. But you can, <laughs> you can till ta- still tell. You can see him underneath of all that makeup. 
So, um, seniors MBTI, Myers-Briggs personality type, is ESTJ, which is the executive, which is kind of a, like, fitting title for him. Um, and this is the same personality type as Umbridge and McGonagall. So, executives are representatives of tradition and order, utilizing their understanding of what is right, wrong, and socially acceptable to bring families and communities together. Embracing the values of honesty, dedication, and dignity, people with the executive personality type are valued for their clear advice and guidance, and they happily lead the way on difficult paths. Um, I feel like this is, like, (laughs) him to the T. Like, order is, like, his big shtick, like, that's just like what he loves. Um, that's Umbridge's thing. I must okay. have order. But I feel like Barty Coach Senior like actually cares about having order, and Umbridge just like doesn't like children. She just wants to have control. <laughs> she just wants control. Um, like Barty Coach Senior made his whole career on like cleaning up and after the war and like ending the first war. Yeah. Um, anyways possible and like the leading the way on difficult paths I felt like that's like kind of the role he like stepped in to fill or like stepped into fill and then like was going to fill with minister um if things have gone as planned but I also liked how it says like they value or they use their understanding of what's right, wrong, and socially acceptable because, like, it's not just what's right and wrong. Like, what matters is also, like, socially acceptable. Um, Like, how things are perceived. Right. Like, obviously, he was very concerned with right and wrong. Like, Death Eaters are bad. Dark magic is evil. But also, he was concerned with his appearance and with, like, what is socially acceptable and how people would look at the way that he dealt with things. Um, So I feel like he... He's very committed to, like, ridding the world of evil, but also, like, is aware of what people are thinking of him. So, demand for such leadership is high in democratic societies, forming no less than 11% of the population. It's no wonder that many of America's presidents have been executives. Strong believers in the rule of law and authority that must be earned. Executive personalities lead by example, demonstrating dedication and purposeful honesty and an utter rejection of laziness and cheating, especially in work. If anyone declares hard manual work to be an excellent way to build character, it is executives. And so I think you can see that like kind of rejection of laziness and cheating maybe coming out with I think he disrespects or doesn't hold a lot of respect for Fudge um, because he thinks Fudge didn't earn his authority and also is not really a fan of Bagman probably for like similar reasons he sees him as lazy and maybe just like got to where he is out of just like being a good Quidditch player whereas Crouch had to like work to rise up in the ministry and now they're like They have to collaborate on a job. Yeah, it Um, seems like he has this big complex that, like, I don't know, kind of just, like, the way you're thinking about that, like, everybody has to earn everything because he worked so hard to earn it. But if you take a step back, like, he's part of the Sacred 28. Like, it's not like he grew up 
like discriminated against or poor like he shouldn't have this complex that like I worked harder than anybody to get where I am today and I deserve every little bit of it like you obviously Mm -hmm. came from an old and wealthy family like you can't you don't have that card to play sorry bro yeah like he doesn't recognize his privilege yeah um and then just like obviously he really believes in like law and authority um, the reference to like a lot of presidents being executives. I mean, he was well on his way to being minister. And um, there's a mention of like leading by example, which is, I think, what he was trying to do by sending Junior to Azkaban. Um, and like, granted, he was in kind of a tough spot. But like, his determination to just lead by example and like um, rid the world of death eaters through any way possible like made people kind of sour on him yeah it'd be really interesting to see maybe we'll talk about this later but just because I thought of it now like what would have been the reaction or what the fallout would have been if he would have had more sympathy for his son because it's kind of like you said he was in such a difficult position like basically in a lose-lose situation like if he shows his son mercy people are going to be like oh you're showing favoritism to your son but him being so harsh with him also were like people were like bro that was a little bit too far yeah I think like the only like way he could have gotten out of that would have been like recusing himself from it and like yeah. having someone else at least to like proceed over like the sentencing or yeah. however like we don't really know how like the justice system works but I think yeah he should have just kind of removed himself from the situation and been like I think that my son should be prosecuted but like I'm not going to be the one to do it yeah whereas I think he was so determined to like be to be the one carrying all of this out that he was like, I'm not gonna even show that this affects me. Yeah. Um, so executives are aware of their surroundings and live in a world of clear, verifiable facts. The surety of their knowledge means that even against heavy resistance, they stick to their principles and push an unclouded vision of what is and is not acceptable. Their opinions aren't just empty talk either, as executives are more willing, more than willing to dive into the most challenging projects, improving action plans and sorting details along the way, making even the most complicated tasks seem easy and approachable. Um... I mean, he stuck to his principles maybe a little too well, as we were just discussing, and he definitely was not empty talk. Like, he was fully prepared to send his own son to prison, um, be the one that carried that out, because that's the game he had been talking. So, I mean, like, I guess there's the respect of, like, him, like, sticking to his guns on that. Yeah, and, like, not compromising his morals if you want to call it that yeah his values yeah however executives don't work alone and they expect they expect their reliability and work ethic to be reciprocated people with this personality type meet their promises and if partners or subordinates jeopardize them through incompetence or laziness or worse still dishonesty they do not hesitate to show their wrath um So, obviously, we don't see his partnership with Bagman go super well. Um, And then just my other thought on this was that, like, I can see him, like, being the type of, um, like, boss that 
go or supervisor that goes through a ton of assistance and then like he finally found Percy and Percy was like willing to put up with his obsessiveness and like match his intensity and like take his bullshit of like not even learning his name that like that that really worked and I wish they could have had longer together (laughs) they deserve each other it was a match made in heaven match made in ministry heaven oh yeah um, so then for strengths, we have dedicated, strong-willed, direct and honest, loyal, patient and reliable, enjoy creating order, and excellent organizers. Um, I feel like pretty much all of those hit well. I don't know about patient. We don't have like any reason to believe that, but not really any reason not to believe it. Um, then for weaknesses, inflexible and stubborn, uncomfortable with unconventional situations, judgmental, too focused on social status, difficult to relax, and difficulty expressing emotion. You can say that last one again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the the other one, I feel like all of these fit like pretty well. Um, the too focused on social status, I feel like you can kind of interpret of like too focused on like like power and like hierarchies. Yeah. Uh, probably like within the ministry more so than thinking about it in like a social status kind of way, but definitely maybe just like status in general, as far as like the title that he has and the respect that he gets from that title and who's above him. Like he doesn't like the fact that fudge is like the highest position. Um, he doesn't like the fact that he's like has to work kind of as equals with Bagman. Yeah. A lot of this is inferring, but I feel like I, I feel pretty comfortable saying those things yeah i mean those strengths and weaknesses were like spot on for crouch so i like that which is funny because i feel like sometimes the personality type fits really Mm -hmm. well and the strengths and weaknesses don't or like vice versa yeah i like that and it was umbridge and mcgonagall so i like even though those are all very different characters like I see the commonalities between them with this personality type you know they're all kind of like intense very Mm -hmm. like strict in their own ways so I definitely can see the similarities yeah and they all really like stick to their guns like you were saying like they they aren't just talk too right but they have like their own morals that they're adhering to which makes them different like I can't see McGonagall ever acting in the way that Crouch does. But yeah. if you, like, replace his morals with hers, then you can see it. For sure. I always I always like that when two very different characters, or in this case, three very different characters, all have the same personality type, but it all fits for all three of them. That's always yeah. very interesting. Okay, so moving on to a little bit about his ministry career. Like I mentioned earlier, there's not a whole lot of information about this out in the internet. Um, At least canon information that I deemed worthy. So um, it does say after leaving Hogwarts, Crouch started to rise up the ranks pretty quickly. And I think a lot of this information comes from the trio's talk with Sirius in Goblet of Fire, where he kind of gives them just a quick rundown of crouch and then bringing up Barty this will actually be Barty sorry when I say Barty I mean junior I feel like crouch is uh, like crouch is what is colloquial like used to refer to senior 
And then yeah. Barty can be used to refer to junior. Sorry if I do that. Um, I don't know. That's I feel like I always just saying. call them senior and junior. I mean, yeah, that's but. definitely a lot more um, effective. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I said, I think a lot of this comes from just that quick rundown that Sirius gives us um, and background information. And then um, by the time of the first Wizarding War, it said that he was a judge. I assume that comes from just like him proceed presiding over these trials i don't know if judge is actually a word that's used in like the ministry of magic um but it says that he's a judge in the council of magical law and was head of the department of magical law enforcement during the first wizarding war kind of like audrey mentioned in his fact file then during the war he was very motivated to get as many dark wizards in azkaban as possible by whatever means necessary um so sirius brings up that he even denied sirius a trial he was just sent straight to azkaban um which I'm not a huge fan of in general. <laughs> I don't I don't know if Sirius's outcome would have changed at all if he had been given a trial, but at least kind of giving him that chance to defend himself. Like I definitely feel like he still would have been guilty by the court yeah. standards. Um and then also in this talk, Sirius mentioned that he kind of um gave Orr's free reign. Um, they were able to use unforgivable curses on dark wizards, and he kind of pushed this narrative of kill if necessary, like kill if you can't capture and then attack first and ask questions later, kind of this like wartime, you know how like things are different in like states of mm -hmm. emergency or during wartime, this kind of more lenient with some of the laws. Um, then he did preside over many trials, including the one for with Ludo Bagman, the one with Igor Karkaroff, and the Death Eaters who tortured the Longbottoms, including Bellatrix, Rodolphus, Rebastian, and his son, Barty Crouch Jr. It's kind of inferred that he definitely resided, presided over more, um, but those are just the ones we have confirmation of based on the pensive memories. Yeah. And then... He was, at this time, kind of seen to be next in line for the Minister of Magic position, especially since Dumbledore had been turning it down. I think Dumbledore was probably the first choice still, <laughs> even with Senior floating around. Um, but Senior was kind of... Nobody ever thought Dumbledore would actually take the job, so he was seen as kind of the heir apparent. And he probably would have become minister if not for the unfortunate events surrounding his son and how he locked him up in Azkaban with seemingly no remorse. So it wasn't even the fact that his son was a Death Eater that kind of put him out of contention to be minister. It was more his handling of that event mm -hmm. and kind of the public like outcry at that because it was seen as, I think like Sirius mentioned this, obviously, like I said, this pretty much all comes from that one chapter in Goblet of Fire that like people were like appalled basically by his handling of that situation and after this his career stalled and he didn't really climb up at all I don't know I'm sure there's like a hierarchy within the ministry of the different departments but he still was just a department head I don't know if you can get above a department head unless you're a minister um but he was a department head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation when we see him in Goblet of Fire. So 
maybe international magical cooperation is seen as like a little bit below magical law enforcement because I think it's said that a lot of ministers come out of that department. Um, The magical law enforcement. uh, Yeah, yeah, the magical law enforcement one. So, yeah, he kind of stalled and just became a department head basically for the rest of his life. Yeah. Do you think he would have made a better minister than Fudge? Yes, I actually do. I think that... I think that especially not during wartime, he would have been more... like no. I mean, Fudge was like... Well, I mean, we're planning an episode on Fudge in the future, but like he was a corrupt politician. You can say what you want, kind mm-hmm. of like we were talking at the beginning. You can say what you want about Senior, but I don't think he was a corrupt politician. And I think if it wasn't wartime, he wouldn't be so like, you know, like he would scale back those efforts that he had made, like the drastic changes he did to catch yeah. Dark Wizards. I think he saw it as like by any means necessary while the war was going on. Um, and he probably would have made like less controversial decisions if it was not a wartime. So I do think yeah. so. I do think he would have been better. I, I agree mostly because like Fudge is just like incompetent. And I think the only time that like incompetence is better than competence is when like the competence has like evil motives, if that makes sense. And I think like, I don't know, like, we can knock seeing it for a lot of things, but, like, I don't think he ever had bad intentions. I think he executed his good intentions poorly Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, but I don't think he ever had bad intentions. I would um, agree with and that. So I don't think he would have been a great minister, but I think he would have been better than Fudge. I mean, yeah, I think he was, like, I mean, obviously he was a career politician. I think he was just also more suited for the position. Like, he just yeah. seems more, like... I don't know. You obviously want some sort of like authoritarian like aura from people who are leading governments and leading countries. You know, you yeah. want them to feel like I don't know. I feel you like want they to just trust have yeah, yeah. And I not just think that they're an idiot. <laughs> and I don't think Fudge had that like authority radiating out of him. I think like yeah. Scrimgeour even kind of alludes to that when he's kind of bashing yeah. Fudge like backhandedly when we see him in Half Blood Prince. Like he just doesn't have that like. I know he doesn't seem like a powerful person, but I feel like when you meet senior, like, oh shit, like this man is important, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, so now I'm going to talk a bit about like Hogwarts house speculation. Cause we don't know what through Canon, at least we don't know what his Hogwarts house was. Um, so, Okay. So I think that the most compelling argument trait-wise is for Slytherin. But it feels weird, and it feels weird to even, like, argue for another house to me. But I think given the reputation of Slytherin within the Wizarding World at that time, it's a little hard to buy that he was in it. Um, Maybe he would have been in it, like, later on in the Wizarding World when, like, you know, Slytherins get some redemption. But it's hard to buy that he would have been a Slytherin um, in the, like, era that he went to Hogwarts. I will still make the argument based on, like, if we're the sorting hat, he should be in Slytherin. Um, 
So I'll just like go through the, I'll just go through the houses based on like traits alone. And then we can talk a little bit more later. But as far as Slytherin, um, obviously he's very ambitious. Literally like all we know about him is based on his career at the ministry and how he like rose through the ranks super quickly and was bound to be minister. Um, and he would do anything to rise through those ranks. He's kind of ruthless, you know, <laughs> he sent his son to prison. Um, very achievement oriented this is a, a point that someone made. Uh, Sahil Junja on Quora said that he was, quote, achievement-oriented um, because he, like, was describing how Junior was, like, a good son. And he mentioned, like, he got 12 OWLs. So, like, that makes him a, a good kid. Um, this is, like, the biggest one. Like, ends justify the means. Um he authorized Aurors to do whatever they wanted. He sent his son to prison to rid the world of Death Eaters. He sacrificed his family life for his career and ridding the world of Death Eaters. Like, he really was had a single-minded focus and was willing to do anything to get there. And I think that's, like, a very Slytherin trait that, like, I know what I want and regardless of how I get there, regardless of the means, like, if I get to that state, then... That's, like, will justify everything I did along the way. Um, I think it was probably, if, like, it was his idea to use Polyjuice Potion to switch out his wife for Junior. I don't know if it, it was entirely his idea, but that's, like, a super clever and cunning and sly move. Um, I mean, just, like, general ambition. Like, I don't know what else to say, but, like, he's one of the most ambitious characters in the series so it seems silly that like he wouldn't be in Slytherin um, but Percy's not in Slytherin I know I know um and he's also a little bit shady so he fits into Slytherin that way yeah but I think another argument you can make is like maybe in a parallel universe he was in Slytherin and like his hate of dark wizards came from being in Slytherin um, like, they gave the house a bad rep, and so, like, maybe that's why he's so against it, because sometimes when you're, like, closer to something, you can be more, you end up being more, like, anti it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I was also kind of just thinking, because obviously we we read this series from a certain perspective, and we hear Harry's perspective, and he's obviously very anti-Slytherin from Jump, and so I was kind of just thinking about like how the rest of the wizarding world views Slytherin. Mm. Um, because like obviously Malfoy Sr., Lucius Malfoy, is um, like a very well-respected person in the ministry. Yeah. You know, for whatever false reasons he is respected. Like Fudge is like good friends with him and trusts him and sees him as like a good man who donates a lot of money to the government. <laughs> like, obviously, Fudge yeah. has ulterior motives. But I was kind of just thinking if, like, the whole wizarding world as a whole has kind of this Slytherin bias that we see from the series at all. I think that's a good point. I don't know. Um... Because, obviously, the Weasleys do, but they're so, like, staunchly Gryffindor that it could be, like... Yeah. I mean, people, like, rivalries with college football is something I could liken that to, you know? Like, if you yeah. and your whole family went to, like, say, Old Miss, you would be yeah. anti-Mississippi State, obviously. But if people who didn't go to either of those schools, 
or like I don't give a crap if you went to Ole Miss, yeah. you know. And yeah, I think that like also adults are probably like yes, <laughs> like ingrained in this, and we see the whole um, series from like a teenager's perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Um, I think like regardless of like whether or not the whole wizarding world is like that like slytherin still has that rep of yeah being for sure where dark wizards come from so i don't know if that like really i feel like if things, anybody but... would be anti-slytherin it would be barty crouch senior you know yeah. like it would be a person <laughs> yeah. like him yeah um so then i don't really have a ton for the other houses um gryffindor like, I guess you can make the, like, ridding the world of Death Eaters claim as a Gryffindor because, like, heroic and hate dark, ma- dark magic and, wow, we're so good people. And, we're the perfect you know, we save heroes. The world. All of the um, good characters are in Gryffindor house. But I just, I really think the way he went about it is not Gryffindor at all. Um, then for Ravenclaw. Have we done I, a moody episode? Sorry. Yes. Did we, do you remember which house we said, did we say Gryffindor for him? I think we did. Did we do a Moody episode? Yeah, yeah, we did because we, because that's when we talked about, yeah, yeah, we did. Is that when we talked about his unnamed granddaughter in Hogwarts or in Gryffindor? No, 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 we talked about that that during the Lavender Brown episode. Oh, I'm checking. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you didn't not remember. You didn't remember. I used a double negative. I don't. Th- I don't think we've done one. Oh really? I'm not seeing it. Unless we did it early on. No, we haven't. Oh, that's a good episode. We should. Oh, dang. I was just thinking, because I, I was going to make the comparison, like, I think that Moody and Barty Crouch, especially when, like, we're talking about their relationship to, like, Death Eaters could be very similar, but I think Moody's, like, Moody's role in catching Death Eaters is much more Gryffindor than Senior's role in catching Death Eaters. That's, like, why I thought of Moody in the first place. Yeah, and especially because, like, Moody was the one, like, out there actually chasing him down, you know? I think that, like, like, a Gryffindor Gryffindor. wouldn't just be, I mean, maybe they would, but I feel like it's less likely for a Gryffindor to just be, like, behind the desk telling people to do things and not actually doing those things. Like, I don't see Gryffindors as career politicians, you know? Yeah. Especially not during wartime. Yeah. could be doing something else. And I think also, like, a Gryffindor... Gryffindors often have this like moral high ground mm. and I don't think that they would like authorize the use of the unforgivable curses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like Harry I mean we see Harry do it a couple times that's like anger. But yeah. like the way Crouch does it is like he Harry makes it to do it. But the way Crouch does it, he like yeah, it's like a planned thing. Yeah. It's not out of like a heat of the moment thing. And I think the only time a Gryffindor would use an unforgivable curse would be like heat of the moment. Yeah. Um because yeah. I think not all Gryffindors, obviously, but like I think there is this like moral high ground of like 
that's what the other side does. Like, we don't go Yeah, like, that. we're better like, we than don't. that. <laughs> when when they go low, we go high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I think there's no way Senior was a Gryffindor. I'm sorry. I don't know if that, that's, like, controversial. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about Hufflepuff next. Um, he's not nearly nice enough, obviously. And, like, he was a shitty father, um, even before, like, Junior became a Death Eater and they had to, like, do that whole justice, like, sending him to prison thing. Like, he was, he clearly didn't care that much about his family and I just, like, don't see a Hufflepuff being like that. Um, I guess you can claim that, like, he was really dedicated to fighting evil, which could be a Puff thing, but that's also just, like, a decent person thing. So I don't think it makes the case for him being in Hufflepuff. Yeah. He was super hardworking, but, like almost too far where the point like work became his life um it wasn't like a healthy like hard-working attitude yeah and he, he did have the compassion to allow allow his wife to take his son's place um but that's like maybe the only time you could say he was compassionate he loved his son and wife enough to let his wife die yeah that's a good argument and then imprison his son yeah and then just, like, basically drug and hide his son for the rest. Yeah. Like, that's what he wanted to do for the rest of his son's life. Like, okay. Yeah. <sighs> okay, and so then Ravenclaw, which sadly I think because of, like, what I said about, like, the improbability of him being in Slytherin, even though I think that's his the house he should be in, I think he's in Ravenclaw. I mean, it's not sadly. I don't think he's that bad of a character. But I think, like, he definitely would have had to be really smart to rise through the ministry ranks that quickly. Um, I do also think that, like, ambition can kind of be a Ravenclaw trait. Um, I think so, too. He clearly valued intelligence and education. As I was talking about earlier, he, like, referenced Junior getting the 12 OWLs. And also, he's just, like, kind of elitist, which can be a Ravenclaw trait. Um, We also... I feel like we talk about, like... Uh, no, I don't know if elitist is the right word, but kind of like being a little like snobby, but also being really accepting. And I don't think he has that really accepting part of him. Um, but just like the idea that like he's earned what he like, he's earned his titles in the ministry and like other people like Bagman and Fudge who aren't Didn't as work as hard as him. As him. Yeah, didn't work as hard, and I think maybe the bigger thing is aren't as intelligent, um, which, like, that is, I feel like, a really Ravenclaw thing. So, yeah. I think, I think within Universe, I think he would have been in Ravenclaw. But I just, like, I can't, I can't look at the house traits and look at his character and see him in anything but Slytherin, which I think is why I'm, like, I'm against him being in Ravenclaw because I I just don't think it's the right house for him. Yeah. Um, but do you get the point I'm making? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I mean, I don't want to give spoilers for my house sorting <laughs> junior, but you'll see when I get there. <laughs> um, right. I don't know if you've already looked at those notes or not. But... I have not yet. Okay. Well... <laughs> We'll circle back to this discussion then. 
Okay. Let's move on to Junior. Yeah, speaking of Junior, um, his name is Bartimius Barty Crouch Jr. And so I just want to maybe have a discussion is not the right word, but I think that maybe this was more applicable to when we were talking about in senior, but I think that the type of man specifically that (laughs) names his son after him is like a very specific type of man. And I don't want to generalize because a lot of time it's like family. Like if, if the, if a father is like a third, it's kind of just like you, you continue on this tradition, but I don't know. I think that can just speak to maybe the type of father Mm. and person that senior was just naming his son after him and him becoming a junior. And maybe like his interest in junior was like junior carrying on his legacy, junior carrying on the country and like becoming a ministry official and like following his life path Mm -hmm. and like he didn't really have an interest in like his son as a person like we see that like we're we're led to believe that he wasn't super present in junior's childhood and like say what you will maybe junior always would have ended up becoming a death eater all of these things but like i don't know that has an effect on children especially because it seemed like he viewed Junior as, like, not... He didn't love him. Um, I'm not that... I don't know. Like, obviously, like, he worked hard. You can obviously still be a good dad and, like, work hard and not be around much because you're trying to work hard. Um, but it seemed like he didn't really, like, actually care about him as a person, which is the actual issue there. Yeah, I think that sometimes parents can maybe love their children for what they can do for them more than actually loving them for who they are like themselves you know kind of being like selective with that like parental love like only loving their children if they are a certain way and if they do certain things um as opposed to kind of just like loving them and accepting them to be who they want to be and I feel like Barty Crouch Sr. would be a very good example of one of those types of parents. You know, like, his love is almost conditional on the fact that, like, Junior becomes the man that he wants him to be. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, he was born, like I said earlier, uh, around 1962. We get this because Sirius says that he can't have been more than 19 when he was brought to ask a man. Um, and this ha- occurred, like, 1981, 1982, um, shortly after Voldemort fell for the first time. So, um, just, like, going back down about 20 years, probably yeah. born in the early 1960s. Um, so, his death date is June 24th, 1995. That's when he was given the Dementor's Kiss. But I guess, like, according to the author's website, when she still had one, because I don't think it's still a thing, slash, yeah, I, don't I don't think it has those postings, you know, like, where she mm-hmm. talks about Harry Potter. Um, it was listed as being sometime shortly after june 24th 1995 so i don't know if that's kind of alluding to the fact that like he could have died post midnight well oh no no no. um oh sorry sorry i wrote that confusingly it says she wrote on her website that 
like, I think it was, like, by the time, like, she wrote about it, like, when Sirius died, about, like, the Crouch and Black lines becoming Mm. extinct. So, I don't know if that's just, like, because Barty Crouch, like, didn't have his soul anymore. Like, I don't know if there were just, like counting him as like dead yeah. or he like actually died like I don't know what happens to people after they get to the Dementor's kiss yeah I mean I guess that's kind of a thing that's mentioned in the series like you don't really know I maybe Sirius talks about this like you don't know what it feels like like you don't know what happens after a soul leaves a person's body yeah um but yeah so the crouch line did go extinct like we've kind of been alluding to an end to a sacred 28 family. <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing. So then the magic fact from the MuggleNet mm-hmm. character compendium is that both Barty Coach Jr. and Tom Riddle are named after their father, fa- fathers, and they both murdered their fathers. So. so if this is a lesson for anybody out there, just don't name your kid after you. Just yeah. it makes you seem like a bad father and you're setting your son up you. to kill you. Like Yeah. I would caution <laughs> against it. <laughs> so for Junior's first mention. They kind of talked about this earlier, but it does come from when Sirius is filling in the trio slash the reader because at this point you kind of like the reader starts to need this knowledge. Um, so we get background information about the Crouches. So this is in chapter in the chapter in Goblet of Fire called Padfoot Returns. When Voldemort disappeared, it looked like only a matter of time until Crouch got the top job, but then something rather unfortunate happened. Sirius smiled grimly. Crouch's own son was caught with a group of Death Eaters who'd managed to talk their way out of Azkaban. Apparently, they were trying to find Voldemort and return him to power. Crouch's son was caught, gasped Hermione. Yep, throwing his chicken bone to Buckbeak and flinging himself back onto the ground beside the loaf of bread and tearing it in half. Nasty little shock for old Barty, I'd imagine. Should have spent a bit more time at home with his family, shouldn't he? Ought to have left the office early once in a while. Got to know his own son. Well, I'll I'll continue a little. I'll continue a little bit farther. Sorry. He began to wolf down large pieces of bread. Was his son a Death Eater? Said Harry. No idea. Said Sirius. Still stuffing down bread. I was an Azkaban myself when he was brought in. This is mostly stuff I found out since I got out. The boy was definitely caught in the company of people I'd bet my life were Death Eaters, but he might have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, just like the house elf. So, Mm -hmm. we'll talk later about junior's career as a death death eater because it's something i've always been kind of confused about in general (laughs) yeah um so we'll try and understand a little bit better but i'm going to be honest with you i don't really come out with any new information i'm still just kind (laughs) of as confused as i was when i started this notes for this episode so we'll see if any of you guys have any better ideas than i do (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on to Junior's personality type. Um, He is an INTJ, which is the architect. Um, This is actually not what most people on the internet assign him. Um, It kind of, like, splits between two other types. 
that people assign him into, and I didn't really like either of those at all. Like I couldn't, I couldn't see those um, really at all. So I was, I chose this one, and I don't think it fits super well, but I think it fits better than those two do. So I don't know. Let me know if you you feel particularly strongly against it. So. It also is the same personality type as Draco Malfoy, which is interesting. Well, that's fitting. Yeah. So, it can be lonely at the top. As one of the rarest personality types and one of the most capable architects, or INTJs, know this all too well. Rational and quick-witted architects may struggle to find people who can keep up with their non-stop analysis of everything around them. Um, So, he was definitely kind of a lone wolf type, rational and quick-witted, like... Obviously, his beliefs are maybe irrational, but he acts very rationally. Everything is, like, planned out. I don't want to say he acts rationally. Like, obviously, he's, like, an evil person, but everything is super, like, strategic and planned out. He's obviously very smart, um, very quick on his feet to be able to, like, pass as someone else for a full year. Um, And I can see him kind of, like, constantly analyzing his surroundings. Um to make sure that he stays in character as moody, um, to pick up on anything. So these personalities can be the bo- both the boldest of dreamers and the bitterest of pessimists. Architects believe that through willpower and intelligence, they can in- achieve even the most challenging of goals, but they may be cynical about human nature more generally, assuming that most people are lazy, unimaginative, or simply doomed to mediocrity. Like I said, he's super intelligent, Um, and through the, and he totally thought that like the rest of the Death Eaters were pretty worthless. He thought that they were lazy, they were cowardly. Um, and like, I feel like mediocre is probably like a good way for how he viewed them where he, he thought he was the best Death Eater. He thought he was Voldemort's right hand man. Um, and like the only one that really like deserved Voldemort's like quote unquote love. Um, architects derive much of their self-esteem from their knowledge and mental acuity. In school, people with this personality type may have been called bookworms or nerds, but rather than taking these labels as insults, many architects embrace them. They are confident in their ability to teach themselves about and master any topic that interests them, whether that's coding or, I don't know how to say that word, or classical music. (laughs) Um, so I'm pretty sure Senior says something about how Junior, I know, I wrote these notes earlier, Senior says how Junior was a really smart kid and got 12 owls, OWLs. Um, so yeah. Also known as owls. No. Except nobody ever calls them that on bridge. Get with the times, get hip with the lingo. (laughs) So architects can be single-minded with little patience or frivolity, distractions, or idle gossip. That said, it would be a mistake to stereotype these personalities as dull or humorless. Many architects are known for their irreverent wit, and beneath their serious exteriors, they often have a sharp, delightfully sarcastic sense of humor. So yeah, I don't think he like cares about distractions, friendships, anything besides like serving Voldemort <laughs> at all. He probably thinks he's funny talks about like having a sarcastic sense of humor like he turned draco into a ferret i think he got a lot of joy and humor out of that um 
Architects want to be successful, not just inventive. They bring a single-minded drive to their passion projects, applying the full force of their insight, logic, and willpower, and heaven help anyone who tries to slow them down by enforcing pointless rules or offering poorly thought-out criticism. This personality type comes with a strong, independent streak. Architects don't mind acting alone, perhaps because they don't like waiting around for others to catch up with them. So he really wanted, like, desperately to be Voldemort's right-hand man. Um, he was super dedicated to his task of getting Harry to the graveyard. And he pretty much does all of this on his own. Like, we don't really know how much he's communicating with Voldemort throughout. But I would think it's very minimal um, to avoid, like, discovery. Um, I think he's, like, smart enough to do most of it on his own. Yeah, sorry, just whenever you say right-hand man, I can't not hear David Diggs and Hamilton <laughs> saying right-hand man think faster that... than any other man on the planet. <laughs> I, I think that every back. time. <laughs> um, so architects aren't known for being warm and fuzzy. They tend to prioritize rationality and success over politeness and pleasantries. In other words, they'd rather be right than popular. This may explain why so many fictional villains are modeled on this personality mm. type. Um, which, this isn't really related, but I feel like Junior had the potential to be, like, if he was in the series more, or maybe even is one of the best villains in the series. Yeah. Um, he's certainly the most competent villain. Yeah, he's, what I've been like, talking the about most... a lot with his personality type. Like, he's very smart, he's very calculated, he's very cold, um, and I... I feel like he's maybe more compelling than a lot of the other villains. Yeah, I think he Even has we, like some of the most agency out of a yes. lot of the villains that we see. You yeah. Know? And like we don't really know his like origin story as a villain, which I, I think you'll get you'll get into <laughs> us not knowing it. Um, but like, I don't know. Like Voldemort's motives are never super clear. Like. We talk about this, like, Voldemort's not a great villain. Like, the Malfoys are, like, you just They're assume too, like, that they were, like, born into that pure blood, pure bloodness. Yeah. yeah. Like, Bellatrix is, like, a great villain because she's kind of deranged. Um, but, but she doesn't have a great origin story, you but know? But she doesn't have a great... None of them... Ha, none of the other Death Eaters really have a great origin story because, like... Yeah. They're all just, like, oh, we came from rich families and are racist. Yeah. Like... Right, and, like, Voldemort has an origin story, but his motives aren't super compelling. Um, yeah, like, his end goal is super muddled. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like Umbridge is, like, the other villain besides Crouch that's the most, like, calculating and un mm -hmm. unnerving and, like, I feel like could actually do the most harm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, almost done. Um, this personality type is full of contradictions. Architects are imaginative yet decisive, ambitious yet private, and curious yet focused. From the outside, these contradictions may seem baffling, but they make perfect sense once you understand the inner workings of the architect mind. Life is like a giant game of chess. Relying on strategy rather than chance, they contemplate the strengths and weaknesses of each move before they make it, and they never lose faith that with enough ingenuity and insight, they can find a way to win, no matter what challenges might rise along the way. Um, like I said, really strategic, 
relies on his intelligence and his own ability, um, and also, like, ambitious and dedicated, even though it's to, like, a fucked up cause. Yeah. So for strengths, we have rational, informed, independent, determined, curious, and versatile. And for weaknesses, we have arrogant, dismissive of emotions, overly critical, combative, and romantically clueless. (laughs) That's such a funny one to think of in, like, the context of Junior because... Like, you would never imagine him having a romance. (laughs) No. I mean, he might have, but if he did, it would obviously have to be, like, during Hogwarts. Yeah. There's not really time for one. Unless he was, like, maybe, maybe he was running with... Bellatrix and And her husband and Rebastian, and he was having an affair with Bellatrix. Or (laughs) Rebastian. Yeah. Or Rodolphus. (laughs) Or Rodolphus. Well, two (laughs) out of the four of them, two of them are married to each other, and I'm not saying that like doesn't mean anything, but But I feel like the obvious one is Rebastian. Well, we know that she is not loyal to her husband. Either of them as faithful to each other. Well, there's, depending on how um, canon you assume Cursed Child is, there may be some compelling evidence to prove that she's not faithful to her husband. So, maybe you're right. Faithful first to her lord. (laughs) Her lord and savior. (laughs) Yeah, so moving on to his kind of timeline of becoming a Death Eater and possible motivations for becoming a Death Eater... So this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier when his character just kind of generally confuses me and I came to the conclusion that he's just not a very well thought out character. Like there are Mm. just some like gaping holes in his motivations and how he ended up the way that he was. Um, So per the wiki, Barty Crouch Jr. did have the dark mark after he got it after he graduated from Hogwarts in his late teens. So timeline wise, this makes sense because he has it and gobbled a fire. So he had to have gotten it before he went to Azkaban, which means pre him being around 19. So that is like kind of just shortly after Hogwarts is when he would have had to have gotten it. Before Voldemort fell and before he ended up in Azkaban. Um, And then he was captured, like I mentioned earlier, along with Bellatrix, Rudolphus, and Rebastian after they were torturing the Longbottoms after Voldemort's fall, kind of like just for fun, I guess. Um, So yeah. And then, so no one knew he was a Death Eater until after Voldemort's fall because, like, people were shocked when this came out. And this didn't come out until after Voldemort fell. So that's also kind of an interesting thing. Like, if he had not just been a dumbass and, like, pushed the luck, like, his luck, he could have just gotten off scot-free. You know, like, these, all of these Mm. Death Eaters, in all honesty, like, they were in the clear until they did this. So... Kind of then moving on to his motivations. I think that some common things that are brought up is that like it probably had something to do with his father being like pretty overbearing and like maybe to get his attention. Like his father was obsessed with dark wizards and like death eaters and catching dark wizards. And so maybe kind of like as a cry for like attention or just to like, I don't know get it basically get attention from his father he became one of those things that his father Mm -hmm. was so Mm -hmm. obsessed with I think there's also kind of this element of like when your parents 
explicitly like tell you not to do something that only makes it more tempting for you to do that thing. Mm. So I don't know, maybe that's also part of it, but like, while that's a compelling reason to become a death eater, I don't think that's a compelling reason to become like a as dedicated of a death eater that we see him in Goblet of Fire, you know, like that could push him into the dark side, but like he is like, he sees himself as like Voldemort's right hand man, you know, like he sees himself as like instrumental to the dark side. The dark side is very Star Wars phrase, sorry, (laughs) like to Voldemort. And I don't think that like those motivations equate to how we see him in Goblet of Fire if that makes sense like I think they equate to maybe what he was doing at the beginning like flashbacks yes and him becoming a death eater but it doesn't like make him wholly dedicated to this cause if he has these ulterior motives I think Azkaban is like this black box where he like goes in and he's you know denying being a death eater comes out is like totally devoted to Voldemort. Well, he wasn't against Death Eaters that got away with everything. Like, yeah, I definitely do think being in Azkaban and also like the way his father treated him with his imprisonment. Like, I think he could have, it could have been a call for attention. And then like his father gave him the wrong kind of attention for it. You know, like the way his father responded could have pushed him further in. Yeah, and I guess, like, maybe not so much him being an Azkaban, because I don't think he was an Azkaban for, like, really that long, timeline-wise, but maybe more to do with how his father treated him post-Azkaban. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to Um, say. Yeah, and, like, maybe that kind of did it more, but then again, that's kind of, like, reactionary to his father and not so much, like, dedication to the cause. But, like, I guess I can see how kind of those two things go hand-in-hand to some extent. also... I don't know how fully thought out this is in my mind, but, like, when you're that young and you basically give your life for something, he didn't yeah. intend to get caught, obviously, but, like, his life then got defined by the fact that he was associating with Death Eaters. I guess he was a Death Eater at that time. But regardless of what his original intentions were, I think it would be very logical to assume that he was pushed further into that because, like, He's like, well, I've given, like, I've given my life to this. Yeah, um, like, I might as well I, just You can very it. easily, and, yeah, get radicalized through that way, you know, and that's maybe why so much of his hate is also directed against Death Eaters who walked away, walked free, yeah, you know? yeah. So it's kind of like a combination of that. And I think once you're like in those circles, it's very easy to radicalize. Yeah, I think that a lot of the confusion like that I have with his character is that like the setup that we get about him is just such like a contrast to when we do see him. You know, like we see his hearing where like Harry starts to believe that this boy was just like wrongly convicted, right? Like his performance at the hearing was so convincing that like that was part of the reason why there was such a backlash against senior because people weren't convinced that junior was guilty of what he was charged with and then even with Sirius kind of saying that just offhanded comment like um I forget what the wording is I literally just read it It was part of that first mention like I don't know what that kid did or something like that or like I don't know what he like if he was guilty um but like he would just cry for the first couple nights he was at Azkaban 
And so I feel like it's just also this stark contrast between the, that character that we're presented with and then this like wholly devoted to Voldemort crazy person that we meet later. And I'm not saying that both of those things can exist within the same person, but because there's no like filling in the gaps done for us, it just becomes more kind of like, okay, can these, but can both of these things be true? Like how, how much of his performance at the hearing was true you know like yeah. we know that he was a death yeah. eater but like was he remorseful of what he did to the long bottoms like was he kind of just caught in with the bad crowd and like brought in and just kind of ran too far with it and then yeah. all of these things led him to become the person he is in Goblet of Fire. Like, I just, I don't know kind of what the blanks are in between what we're given. And I think that's yeah. why it is a little bit confusing. I think it's confusing, but I also think it's like there's no, there's no reason for us to learn those things. Yeah. Um like in the context of seeing it from Harry's point of view and like the fact that um he gets like the dementors kiss before anything can really be resolved from that. I guess like they could the author could have just not like sold us on the fact that he might not be innocent or like might not be guilty to begin with yeah I mean because I think I at guess- that point like it was not it would not be like crazy to say that to crazy to have the opinion that like Barty Crouch say nothing happens like the end of Goblet of Fire isn't a thing we just hear these snippets about Senior putting his son in Azkaban like it would not be crazy to think that like he was innocent to some extent like he was just kind of yeah. caught up with the wrong crowd and so I think that like it could have just not she could have just not done that because I don't know what the point of that was because like yeah, so- at that point we didn't know that he was going to be coming back like I don't know I don't know, but I think also, like, the other way to interpret it is that, like, he, we see, we learn how, like, calculating and cold and emotionless he is. Yeah. In Goblet of Fire, and, like, you, you could just make the argument that, like, he just was a really good actor then, and, like. Yeah. I don't, I think, yeah, for, like, anyone to, like, convince that many people that they're not a Death Eater when they are would be, like, kind of shocking but like based on his character in Goblet of Fire if anyone's gonna do it it's him like he is super manipulative like really good liar really good um I mean he's a good actor we see him act yeah I guess yeah I guess it's super calculating like I think I think you can make that argument that like he at some point maybe at Hogwarts like fell in with the wrong crowd and became radicalized probably due to the like maybe initially out of the like his dad is not paying attention to him like this is something his dad's paying a lot of attention to his dark wizards and then at some point like you run with that crowd for long enough you're gonna pick up their beliefs and like probably was actually a pure blood supremacist was really devoted to the cause and like was trying to get away with it yeah like another thing to bring up just like with his character that kind of came to my brain earlier is his whole like being right hand man to Voldemort also is something that is kind of confusing to me because like he Voldemort probably did not know who this boy was when he was like (laughs) 
pre his fall, right? Like he was just some 19 year old kid, like running with the death, like death eaters, you know, like, I don't think he really had that much power. And like, maybe because of his connection to senior Voldemort might've been aware of him, but I doubt that like Voldemort was going to junior for help. during the first wizarding war and so kind of like his connection to Voldemort that we see in Goblet and like I don't know it just seems kind of I guess they were both desperate at that point like Voldemort would be desperate like for help from anybody anyone yeah Yeah. I don't know I don't know I'm just I'm not I'm more convinced after hearing your arguments I do think that he just kind of went crazy post his yeah. father sending him to Azkaban but I, I do know. agree that there are holes but I just think like there's no reason for us to know those you know yeah yeah that makes sense even though I wish we did yeah all right so I'm gonna talk kind of just briefly about him um teaching and posing as moody just because obviously that's like the majority of time we know his character is when he's moody Um, so as we know, he broke into Moody's home the morning of September 1st or the evening kind of and captured him and took Polyjuice Potion, um, to a person in him for like literally 10 months. Like it was beginning of September till end of June. Um, he had to have been extremely convincing as Moody because like even Dumbledore did not catch on. We don't know if Dumbledore ever suspected anything pre- like, the moment that Junior took Harry away from him after the third task. Um, I would assume if Dumbledore suspected anything, we would have known, because he would have, like, investigated further and acted on it. So yeah, I feel like I there would have been that's, like, the only slip-up. Yeah. yeah, or that's the only slip-up that Dumbledore is made aware of. So, on the whole, like, I kind of want to make the argument that he was actually a good teacher. Um, I mean, I would agree. Yeah, like, Harry learned a lot from him, particularly, like, he taught Harry how to resist the Imperius curse, and, like, I mean, that's not really something you can learn. We're kind of led to believe that you kind of have this innate ability for it, and that you kind of teach yourself, but, like, he's the one that, like, told Harry it was possible. Um, And it's interesting that Harry and the trio and basically all of the other students could learn so much about defense against the dark arts from him when like he was a practicer of the dark arts and I think that makes a lot of sense like and it makes a bit of a case for Snape as defense against the dark arts teacher because he like has this respect for the dark arts yeah but I still think Crouch was a better teacher in general though yeah I agree I'm not saying Snape is a good teacher like Snape obviously has a lot of other things going on that make him a bad teacher but I think like learning from someone who has such a respect for the dark Mm -hmm. arts is really like a good way to learn yeah I mean I think if you'd ask people in Harry's year like who your favorite or who was the best defense against the dark arts teachers I think it would be Lupin and Moody like, in all honesty. Yes, for sure. For sure. They, like, none of the other ones even really come that close. Yeah. I agree. I mean, maybe Quirrell. We'd never really see him as a teacher, so. I mean, we're kind of just led to believe that he was, like, kind of incompetent. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not as bad as Umbridge, but still I don't think as good as Moody. No. And so, obviously, like, he had to keep up the guise of being a good teacher, 
for people to think he was moody. Um, but I wonder if there was like some part of him that actually enjoyed it or some part of him that was like actually good at it and not just good at it because he was doing what he thought moody would do, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. If he really did have this kind of like natural ability to teach, um, I don't know. I just think it's like interesting because you think about like his character and like the the shit he does and you're like, oh, like he's a terrible person. There's no way he could like be a good teacher. We think of that as like a very like caring and compassionate profession. And like, even though he didn't like show a lot of compassion for his students and stuff, but like he definitely like got through to them in ways that a lot of other professors didn't. Yeah, well, I mean, even with, like, the Neville situation and kind of, like, having him stay after class and, like, having tea with him. And I know that he had ulterior motives, obviously, with giving him that book. But Neville still felt, like, comforted after that interaction. And, like, whether it was fake or not, like, Neville felt better. So at the end of the day, like, is it even a bad that he was act Like, you know, like, if at the end of the day Neville felt better, like, does it matter if he was acting or not, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, so then just the other thing that we should address when we're talking about him <laughs> and students. Um, the Draco ferret situation. Ferret gate, should we call it Ferret, that? <laughs> ferret gate of 1994. Yeah. Um, it's obviously like a really fucked up move um, and not actually a funny way to punish a child um it's way out of line it's traumatizing and just like to use magic any magic of that sort on a student has this very strange like power dynamic and feels like I don't know if abusive is the right word but kind of abusive yeah Um, I think that with this in particular like obviously as a fandom we've like taken a step back from like this being a comical scene but also we've talked a lot about kind of in recent podcasts about this loose relationship that um like wizards have with like harming each other basically Mm. because magic is such an easy thing to fix that I don't like I forget what was the context in which we were talking about this last um like things are just like seen as not as serious so I do think it's kind of like maybe like important to bring that up when we have this discussion because it's not like a direct correlation to something that would happen in the muggle world because like it's easily fixable you know because of magic like obviously it's still like not okay and there are rules against it for a reason but I think that like the seriousness and like which we talk about it wouldn't be as serious in the wizarding world if that makes sense just kind of in when we talked about how cavalier wizards are basically with some of the things that they do and what happens to them yeah um so just about the situation i mean like draco did draw his wand on someone with their back turned and draco deserved to like be held accountable and like be punished just obviously not in this way not to this extent um but clearly someone had to like stop him and call him out on that um as a reader it is like and especially as, like, a first-time reader, you're it's very satisfying to see this occur, even though, like, once you look back on it and you think about it, you realize how not okay it is and how kind of, like, sadistic and sociopathic it is. And I feel like this is just kind of, like, a clue into Moody not being Moody, you know? Um, it was really easy for Junior to hide stuff like this as, like, Moody being super eccentric and mad and, like, the vigilance. But 
um, I think this is maybe some of his personality of like being a bit sadistic and like, oh, he wants to take this out on Draco because like he hates his father for walking free on being a death eater. And so like, I think he, he could kind of get away of letting some of his himself show because Moody has this reputation of being very like erratic and mad, mad at Moody. Um, but yeah, it, it is definitely a fucked up situation. I don't, I don't know how much more we can like talk about that. I feel like it's a very like talked over conversation in the fandom. Um, and I don't have like a lot more to say on it, you know? Yeah, it's in my mind, it's very similar to like the Hermione Marietta situation. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. there's not that power dynamic involved in that one, um, like there mm-hmm. is with the teacher student relationship, but it's kind of similar to that mm-hmm. in a sense. So, now let's move on to Junior's house speculation. So, this is the first one of these I've done. Normally, Audrey does do does these sections. So, is this actually the first? I, I think so. I feel like you did some early on. No? Maybe like way long ago, but I feel like I mm-hmm. haven't done one in a, like you haven't done definitely one in the past year. For okay. sure, I feel like. Um, but so this one is also really difficult because Junior just like, I talked about how his like story is kind of confusing. He's also just like generally confusing as a character because we don't know where he ends and where Moody starts and kind of like vice versa. Because for pretty much the whole time that he is like that the whole time we spend with him, he is not Barty Crouch Jr. He is Mad-Eye Moody to us. And we don't learn till after, like till post, that this is Barty Crouch Jr. So it's all just kind of very confusing about kind of parsing who he actually is and when he was acting like Moody, if that makes sense. So I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I actually went in the exact same order that Audrey talked about these in, just coincidentally. The first one <laughs> I talk about is Slytherin. And so the argument I made earlier about Slytherin kind of like contradicts what I say here. So just pretend I didn't say anything about Slytherin about <laughs> having a bias in the wizarding world. So while I do think that Slytherin is kind of the house that a lot of people would just automatically think of for Junior just because he is a Death Eater, I don't think that he was actually in Slytherin house. And kind of similar for Barty Crouch Sr.'s reasoning, I think it's kind of like not really having anything to do with the traits and more just the perception of Slytherin specifically from senior at age 11 I don't think junior like or sorry at age 11 I do think junior would still be trying to impress his father and kind of still having that hope of like being good enough for his father um and making his father proud so I don't think that he would want to be in Slytherin for that case and like kind of referring to this thing that Audrey's been talking about how he said that he was proud of his son for getting 12 12 OWLs this actually that quote comes from when seniors going crazy and thinks that like he's living in the past and his son is still at Hogwarts um and he's like talking like his son is at Hogwarts and he he talks about how he is proud of him and I just don't see senior being proud of a son that is in Slytherin if that makes sense so 
that is my argument against Slytherin. My argument against Gryffindor is that I don't think Junior comes off as somebody who's like overly loud or boisterous. Um, so I don't think he really fits the Gryffindor stereotype from that. Um, I also like, I guess you could make the argument that he's brave. You know, he went against his father knowing what it would mean for the both of them when he joined the Death Eaters. And like, obviously it's brave quote-unquote to join the Death Eaters I guess you could make the argument as well but I just don't think he would fit into Gryffindor I don't think he kind of has that like like courageousness and that like moral compass that a lot of Gryffindors have um and then Hufflepuff so he's loyal to Voldemort, but I feel like that comes more from his disloyalty to his family. And I don't, like, we've kind of talked about this difference between, like, Slytherin loyalty and Hufflepuff loyalty. And a lot of times we talk about Slytherins being, like, selectively loyal, while Hufflepuffs mm -hmm. are kind of, like, loyal to their word or just, like, I don't want to say loyal to everybody, but, like, you don't have to earn a Hufflepuff's loyalty, like, you have their loyalty and their trust until you like prove them otherwise, I feel like. Yeah. But with Slytherins, it's like you have to prove to get that loyalty to begin with and that trust. Um, and plus, like, he's just a sadistic person. I don't think <laughs> he would fit to Hufflepuff. I yeah, I don't think you have to explain that one much further. <laughs> well, I also think that there's a writing or a quote that is about like no dark wizard ever coming out of Hufflepuff. I'm not sure where that's from, but I'm pretty sure that's from something. It's and from obviously Pottermore. when you yeah. get Hufflepuff. Oh, it's the house, Pottermore. like the sorting writing or whatever, yeah. like the welcome. So like, obviously that would just contradict if Junior wasn't Hufflepuff, you know, like that would just immediately prove that statement wrong. So that leaves me with Ravenclaw. <laughs> so I did not read Audrey's um, house sorting actually before I did mine. So I also came up with Ravenclaw as the most likely option for Junior. Um, I do think that this would serve the fact of like making his father proud. And like from what Senior mentions, like Junior got 12 OWLs. So obviously he's got like he's got some smarts. Um, the plan to impersonate Moody, so this is also kind of parallels um, what Audrey said about Senior and, like, his plan to get his son out of Azkaban. Like, Junior's plan to impersonate Moody was, like, a very creative one and, like, outside-of-the-box mm -hmm. thinking. Um, something that people maybe wouldn't generally think of off of the top of their head. <laughs> um, and then kind of my biggest point goes to his teaching style and capability like he's obviously very knowledgeable yeah. about defense against the dark arts and what blows my mind the most is that like when he went into Azkaban he was like 19 so he was yeah. like just removed from Hogwarts so he didn't really have a lot of time to like learn additional things and then he was like in seclusion like you could say that he wasn't technically in Azkaban but like I don't think he was like, you didn't have a lot of freedom, even post-Azkaban, yeah. like, being with his father. And so being able to teach, like, all class, like, I'm sure he could teach, like, first years, no problem, but he still had to teach seventh years at this point, you know, where in reality, he didn't really have much more knowledge than them, it would seem. So, like, at school, you could make the argument that, like, maybe you could infer that he kind of went out of his way to learn more than he had to like really master some things that maybe he didn't have yeah. to um, at school or even like 
in those like because I, I think post. when he first yeah when he first is like back living at like kind of imprisoned at the crouch house um i don't think he's under the imperious curse at first so like i maybe he like maybe spend his time just, like, reading read, books you know? yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think you could maybe <laughs> infer that he enjoyed that knowledge and like obviously kind of like audrey said he was a good teacher and i think that you know you have like to be a good teacher you obviously have to have a fairly good understanding of what you are teaching so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know i think that ravenclaw makes the most sense to me for both of oh, the I couch boys agree. i i think it's more compelling for junior too yeah because i do think slytherin is less compelling even when you do look at the traits for junior than it is for senior for senior like he should be a slytherin but i think he can't be for junior i think like ravenclaw is kind of the like logical choice yeah oh well you win some you lose Well, there you go. You have one of the best defense against the dark arts teachers and then one of the worst defense against the dark arts teachers. So Yeah, he makes up for Lockhart. You balance it out a little bit there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so for cocktails, actually only um, Barty Coach Sr. has a cocktail in the book. So it is called the Meticulous Ministry Mixer. It says, as head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, Mr. Crouch would kindly request you measure the ingredients exactly so as to ensure a fully legal, legally compliant drink. Oh my god. <laughs> so, it is two parts gin, half part triple sec, a lemon slice on ice. Okay, I feel like I would like that. It sounds very like light and refreshing, you know, like a gin and tonic, yeah. but a little bit sweeter. But no isn't tonic. Well, because isn't triple sec kind of like sweet already? Am I making a that little up? bit? Yeah, triple sec kind of has like a citrusy flavor. I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I always just I was I've never had triple sec straight up. Like I've always just had it in marks. Yeah, I think that sounds tasty. Yeah. I mean, as long I like as, gin, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of gin, but... You gotta get a good amount of lemon juice in there, though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You gotta cut that gin a little bit. <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> um, so, for the Where Are They Now section, we obviously mentioned in both their fact files that they are dead. So, um, Junior died by um, Dementor's kiss, and then Senior was... It's, like, unknown, I guess how he died um because i think that junior says like he killed him and then transfigured him into a bone so i don't think the killing thing was the transfiguration i assume he just used avana cadaver yeah i mean he had to get it done quickly you know yeah like if he had time i feel like he would have tortured him but he had to get it done quickly so well i feel like turning your father into just a bone and then burying him is like pretty much torture like i like obviously his father didn't like feel that but damn that's mm. cold <laughs> and he was just gonna leave like he was just gonna leave his father there and just leave his like disappearance a mystery yeah. nobody would have figured that out if he didn't tell them obviously i think it we know that senior was like dug up um, I because, don't know if they transfigured yeah, they his body him. back, I guess. That'd be, oh, that's interesting. If you they probably do did. that. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, 
they're both dead. That's where they are now, in the ground. (laughs) Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. So for the pop quiz, the question is, who was the worst father in the series? And so we posted this on our Instagram story because we didn't post this till right before um, we started recording. But I think that it's really funny from the answers that we got, none of them were the ones that we mentioned. Like when we started recording, we listed like three. And both answers that we got were neither of them. I know. So I really um, So yeah, that. sorry to the people in our Facebook group. We were having a hard time coming up with a question, and I thought of it like 20 minutes before we were recording. So it was on our Instagram. Um, so Larry said Marvolo Gaunt, mm-hmm. who would be Tom Riddle's maternal grandfather. Um, I mean, that's a good answer. He was like pretty abusive yeah. to Merope, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Leia said, I feel like a hot take would be Tom Riddle Sr., but we don't really see him much as a dad. Um, yeah, I don't, he I guess like, if doesn't you wanna... even really know that he has a kid. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to take the tact of, like, the absent father, you know, yeah. that would be him. Um, but then Leia followed up and said, or if you accept Cursed Child as canon, Harry was not the best dad, which I think is a funny Yikes. response. Good job, Leia. <laughs> we love that. I also like the qualifier if you accept Cursed Child as canon. Yeah, I feel like uh, um, I feel like I've had an effect on our listeners just beating <laughs> them over the head every episode. Cursed Child isn't canon. People have just started to accept that. <laughs> I feel like I don't really know. <laughs> um, I guess I'm gonna go with. I guess I'm gonna go with Malfoy, Lucius Malfoy. Okay. Because I think that even though he did, like, love his son, um, he basically, like, set him up to become a terrible person. Like, anything good about Draco is not not due to his father. Um, And I don't know. I can see him being, like emotionally abusive if not physically um I mean we see that he was physically abusive with Dobby so is it really that far of a jump to yeah. say that he would do that with Malfoy yeah and I, I I don't know I just think that like 
Especially because it's under the guise of, like, loving him and, like, wanting, thinking he's the best. I think it could be, like, super toxic. And, like, I think the the image we're given of Draco and Cursed Child is that he's, like, worked his way out of that. But I think it'd be very easy to not work your way out of that because, like, it'd be very hard to work your way out of that is what I'm saying. Because, like, under that guise that Lucius provides, like, it... it you could, like, not even realize how shitty of a person your father made you, you know? Yeah. So Vernon is obviously very similar to Lucius in a lot of the things that you said. Um, kind of yeah. the way he treated Dudley, setting him up for failure, basically. Um, mm-hmm. I had a hot take, and then I started Then you, I started thinking about the similarities between Vernon and Lucius, and it just <laughs> flitted out of my mind. Oh, it came back to me fully. I was going to say um, Mr. Granger because he just lets his daughter just never come home and just lets her run around the globe with men he's never met before. Because um, he was forgets be that my, his daughter exists. Yeah, that was going to be my punchline. Um, no, in all honesty, I think that obviously Marvolo gone is like a really good answer because he was like, literally an atrocious person um yeah I do think that for me it would probably be Vernon for a lot of the similar reasons that you gave for Lucius but I almost think that Vernon's is like a little bit more dangerous because Vernon isn't like outwardly villainous like Lucius is Mm. you know what I Mm -hmm. mean um yeah so it comes off as like a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more like people actually act like Vernon to their children in real life. And I'm not saying that people like Lucius don't exist, but I feel like Vernon is just a more grounded version of Lucius. You know? I can agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that Barty Kurtz Sr. is also kind of one that's a little bit more scary because it is pretty realistic. You know, Mm -hmm. this kind of, like, overbearing father that expects too much of their children and... Their love is conditional on their children kind of being a certain way and being successful is not something that's too hard to believe, so. I agree. A lot of shitty fathers in there. Yeah, there are. There are lots of just, like, absent fathers, too. I mean, like, James, obviously, which is not his fault. Like, Hagrid's father dies pretty young. Yeah. Dumbledore's father goes to Azkaban when Dumbledore was pretty young. Like, not too many people grow up with a steady father, which is why Arthur is just an angel. (laughs) I love Arthur. All right. So you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Our episodes come out every other Tuesday. Um, And make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us some ratings and reviews. Sorry. Um, you can follow us on social media. We are Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can join our Facebook group if you want a chance to answer our pop quiz questions when we upload them in a more timely manner. Um, our Facebook group is called Wizard Studies Fa- well, Wizard Studies Podcast Group on Facebook. You can follow us on at Wizard Studies on Twitter and you can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best, we'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot.